Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our very fine friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, and there you can mouse over the link at the top for online edition, and you'll see the little drop-down menu where you'll find read ACIMOE. Also in that drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to receive a daily excellent email from the Course in Miracles Society that includes both the text that we share in the morning here on the call, as well as the lesson for the day. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern. And today we are continuing our reading of Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation, picking up where we left off in Section 5, The Correction for Lack of Love, today at paragraph 93 through 105. We're also mindful of our lesson today. Hinge Lesson 23, I Can Escape from the World by Giving Up Attack Thoughts. I Can Escape from the World by Giving Up Attack Thoughts. <clears throat> I was so very, very happy to find just this lovely little excerpt of a poem, a uh, poem by John O'Donohue. The poem itself is called The Morning Offering but it speaks to this giving up of attack thoughts so beautifully. My heart's prayer. I place on the altar of dawn the quiet loyalty of breath, the tent of thought where I shelter, waves of desire I'm sure to, and all beauty drawn to the eye. May my mind come alive today to the invisible geography that invites me to new frontiers, to break the dead shell of yesterdays, to risk being disturbed and changed. May I have the courage today to live the life that I would love, to postpone my dream no longer, but do at last what I came here for and waste my heart on fear no more. I lay on the altar of dawn. Amen. That's beautiful, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love John O'Donohue. Oh. <laughs> Thank you I so do much. Too. He's, he's a surprise sometimes. Yeah. I'm sorry? I've been listening to a series of CDs by him. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I love it. him. And I love that no, poem. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Rob Marie. Love it, too. It's a beautiful heart prayer. Uh, I love you guys. Okay, my friends, here's our reading list so far. We have Lemoyne, Jessica, Karen, Robin Marie, and Lana. Listening with us today is Donna. And I wonder if anyone else joined us would like to say good morning and be on the reading list.
Well, <clears throat> all right. So let's get started then. In chapter two, the illusion of separation, continuing separate, or <laughs> continuing section five, the correction for lack of love today, starting at paragraph two ninety two colon at ninety three, paragraph ninety three. I think I'll pick up just a little bit of ninety two uh, before we begin. Today's section, the world is full of examples of how man has depreciated himself because he is afraid of his own thoughts. In some forms of insanity, thoughts are glorified, but this is only because the underlying depreciation was too effective for tolerance. The truth is that there are no so-called idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. <clears throat> the reason people are afraid of ESP and so often react against it is because they know that thoughts can hurt them. Their own thoughts have made them vulnerable. 93. You who constantly complain about fear still persist in creating it. I told you before that you cannot ask me to release you from fear because I know it does not exist. But you do not. If I merely intervene between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is in this world. I would hardly help if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. It is much more helpful to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts carefully, except for a small part of the day and somewhat inconsistently even then, you may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. <laughs> Good morning. Okay. Uh-huh. Chapter 2, The Illusion of Separation, Section 5. The Correction for Lack of Love, paragraph 93. You who constantly complain about fear still persist in creating it. I told you before that you cannot ask me to release you from fear because I know it does not exist. But you do not. If I merely intervene between your thoughts and their results, I would be tampering with the basic law of cause and effect, the most fundamental law there is in this world. I would hardly help if I depreciated the power of your own thinking. This would be in direct opposition to the purpose of this course. It is much more helpful to remind you that you do not guard your thoughts carefully except for a small part of the day and somewhat inconsistently even then. You may feel at this point that it would take a miracle to enable you to do this, which is perfectly true. Men are not used to miraculous thinking, but they can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers need that kind of training. I cannot let them leave their minds unguarded 
or they will not be able to help me. Miracle working entails a full realization of the power of thought and real avoidance of miscreation. Otherwise, a miracle will be necessary to set the mind itself straight, a circular process which would hardly foster the time collapse for which the miracle was intended, nor would it induce the healthy respect for true cause and effect which every miracle worker must have. Thank you, Lemoyne. Um, and Jessica. Yeah, <clears throat> thank you. Um, 94. Men are not used to miracles, miraculous thinking, but they can be trained to think that way. All miracle workers need that kind of training. I cannot let them leave their minds unguarded or they will not be able to help me. Miracle working entails a full realization of the power of thought and real avoidance of miscreation. Otherwise, a miracle will be necessary to set the mind itself straight, a circular process which would hardly foster the time collapse for which the miracle was intended, nor would it induce the healthy respect for true cause and effect, which every miracle worker must have. Miracles cannot free the miracle worker from fear. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. And if you were not free to choose one, you would also not be free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear. You have been afraid of God, of me, of yourselves, and of practically everyone you know at one time or another. This is because you have misperceived or miscreated us and believe in what you have made. You would never have done this if you were not afraid of your own thoughts. The vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation. Thank you, Jessica. I'm Karen. 95. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. And if you were not free to choose one, you would also not be free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear. You have been afraid of God, of me, of yourselves, and of practically everyone you know at one time or another. This is because you have misperceived or miscreated us and believe in what you have made. You would never have done this if you were not afraid of your own thoughts. The vulnerable are essentially miscreators because they misperceive creation. 96. You persist in believing 
that when you do not consciously watch your mind, it is unmindful. It is time, however, to consider the whole world of the unconscious or quote-unquote unwatched mind. This may well frighten you because it is the source of fear. The unwatched mind is responsible for the whole content of the unconscious, which lies above the miracle level. All psychoanalytic theorists have made some contribution in this connection, but none of them have seen it in its true entirety. They have all made one common error in that they attempted to uncover unconscious content. You cannot understand unconscious activity in these terms because quote-unquote content is applicable only to the more superficial unconscious levels to which the individual himself contributes. This is the level at which he can readily introduce fear and usually does. Thank you, Karen. And Robin Marie. 96. You persist in believing that when you do not consciously watch your mind, it is unmindful. It is time, however, to consider the whole world of the unconscious or, quote, unwatched, unquote, mind. This may well frighten you because it is the source of fear. The unwatched mind is responsible for the whole content of the unconscious, which lies above the miracle level. I, all psychoanalytic theorists, theorists have made some contributions in this connection, but none of them has seen it in its true entirety. They have all made one common error in that they attempted to uncover unconscious content. You cannot understand unconscious activity in these terms because, quote, content, unquote, is applicable only to the more superficial unconscious levels to which the individual himself contributes. This is the level at which he can readily introduce fear, and usually does. 97. When man miscreates, he is in pain. The cause and effect principle here is temporarily a real expediter. Actually, quote, cause, unquote, is a term properly belonging to God. And, quote, effect, unquote, which should also be capitalized, is his son. This entails a set of cause and effect relationships, which are totally different from those which man introduced into his own miscreations. The fundamental opponents in the real basic conflict are creation and miscreation. All fear is implicit in the second just as all love is inherent in the first. Because of this difference, the basic conflict is one between love and fear.
Thank you, Robin Marie. And Lena. Okay. 97. When man miscreates, he is in pain. The cause and effect principle here is temporarily a real expediter, period. Actually, in quotes, cause, with a capital C, is a term properly belonging to God. And, in quotes, capital E, effect, which should also be capitalized, is his son. This entails a set of cause and effect relationships, and cause and effect are both capitalized. This entails a set of cause and effect relationships which are totally different from those which man introduced in his own miscreation. The fundamental opponents in the real basic conflict are creation and miscreation. All fear is implicit in the second just as all love is inherent in the first. Because of this difference, the basic conflict is one between love and fear. 98. It has already been said that man believes he cannot control fear because he created it. His belief in it seems to render it out of his control by definition. Yet any attempt to resolve the basic conflict through the concept of mastery of fear is meaningless. In fact, it asserts the power of fear by the simple assumption that it need be mastered. The essential resolution rests entirely on the mastery of love. In the interim, the sense of conflict is inevitable since man has placed himself in a strangely illogical position. He believes in the power of what does not exist. Thank you, Lana. And is there a new reader for 98 and 99? A new reader for paragraph 98 and 99. Hi, Diana. I had to find my phone. <laughs> I walked away from it while listening. Uh, I'm, my ear, earphones. Um, yes, I would love to. Uh, thank you. Paragraph 98. Thank you. Paragraph 98. It has already been said that man believes he cannot control fear because him, he himself created it. His belief in it seems to render it out of his control by definition. Yet any attempt to resolve the basic conflict through the concept of mastery of fear is meaningless. In fact, it asserts the power of fear by the simple assumption that it need be mastered. The essential resolution rests entirely on mastery of love. In the interim, the sense of conflict is inevitable since man has placed himself in a strangely illogical position. 
he believes in the power of what he, of what does not exist. 99. The two concepts which cannot coexist are nothing and everything, unquote. To whatever extent one is believed in, the other has been denied. In the conflict, fear is really nothing and love is everything. This is because whenever light enters darkness, the darkness is abolished. What man believes is true for him. In this sense, the separation has occurred and to deny this is merely a misuse denial. However, to concentrate on error is merely a future misuse of defense. The true corrective procedure is to recognize error temporarily, but only as an indication that immediate correction is mandatory. This establishes a state of mind in which the atonement can be accepted without delay. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And is there another new reader for 99 and 100? Ninety nine and one hundred. Right back to you, Lemoyne. Okay. Two concepts which cannot coexist are nothing and everything. To whatever extent one is believed in, the other has been denied. <clears throat> In the conflict, fear is really nothing, and love is everything. This is because whenever light enters darkness, the darkness is abolished. What man believes is true for him. In this sense, in this sense, the separation has occurred. And to deny this is merely to misuse denial. However, to concentrate on error is merely a further misuse of defenses. The true corrective procedure is to recognize error temporarily, but only as an indication that immediate correction is mandatory. This establishes a state of mind in which the atonement can be accepted without delay. It should be emphasized, however, that ultimately there is no compromise possible between everything and nothing. Okay, I'm going to read that again. It should be emphasized, however, that ultimately there is no compromise possible between everything and nothing. Time is essentially a device by which all compromise in this respect can be given up. It seems to be abolished by degrees because time itself involves a concept of intervals which do not really exist. The faulty use of creation 
made this necessary as a corrective device. Quote, And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Unquote. Needs only one slight correction to be entirely meaningful in this context. It should read, quote, He gave it to his only begotten son. Unquote. Thank you, Lemoyne. Um, and Jessica. 100. It should be emphasized, however, that ultimately there is no compromise possible between everything and nothing. Time is essentially a device by which all compromise in this respect can be given up. It seems to be abolished by degrees because time itself involves the concept of intervals which do not really exist. The faulty use of creation made this necessary as a corrective device. Quote, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Needs only one slight correction to be entirely meaningful in this context. It should read, quote, he gave it to his only begotten son, unquote. It should be especially noted that God has only one son. If all the souls God created are his sons, then every soul must be an integral part of the whole sonship. You do not find the concept that the whole is greater than its parts difficult to understand. You should therefore not have too much trouble in understanding this. Thank you, Jessica. And Karen. 101. It should especially be noted that God has only one son. If all the souls God created are his sons, then every soul must be an integral part of the whole sonship. You do not find the concept that the whole is greater than its parts difficult to understand. You should therefore not have too much trouble in understanding this. 102. The sonship, in its oneness, does transcend the sum of its parts. However, this is obscured as long as any of its parts are missing. That is why the conflict cannot ultimately be resolved until all parts of the sonship have returned. Only then can the meaning of wholeness in the true sense be fully understood. Thank you, Karen. And Robin Marie. One oh two. The sonship in its oneness does transcend the sum of its parts. 
However, <clears throat> this is obscured as long as any of its parts are missing. That is why the conflict cannot ultimately be resolved until all the parts of the sonship have returned. Only then can the meaning of wholeness in the true sense be fully understood. Any part of the sonship can believe in error or incompleteness if he so elects. However, if he does so, he is believing in the existence of nothingness. The correction of this error is the atonement. We have already briefly spoken about readiness, but there are some additional points which might be helpful here. <clears throat> readiness is nothing more than a prerequisite for accomplishment. The two should not be confused. As soon as a state of readiness occurs, there is usually some will to accomplish. But this is by no means necessarily undivided. The state does not imply more than a potential for a shift of will. Thank you, Robin Marie. Um, and Lana. One is three. Any part of the sonship can believe in error or incompleteness if it so elects. However, if he does so, he is believing in the existence of nothingness. The correction of this error is the atonement. We have already briefly spoken about readiness, but there are some additional points which might be helpful here. Readiness is nothing more than the prerequisite for accomplishment. The two should not be confused. As soon as a state of readiness occurs, there is usually some will to accomplish, but this is by no means necessarily undivided. The state does not the state does not imply more than a potential for a shift of will. <clears throat> Excuse me. 104. Confidence cannot develop fully until mastery has been accomplished. We have already attempted to correct the fundamental error that fear can be mastered and have emphasized that only love can be mastered. You have attested only to your readiness. Mastery of love involves a much more complete confidence than either of you has attained. However, the readiness at least is an indication that you believe this is possible. That is only the beginning of confidence. In case this be misunderstood to imply that an enormous amount of time will be necessary between readiness and mastery, let me remind you that time and space are under my control. Thank you, Lana. Um, and Diana.
Uh, Diana, are you able to read 104 and 105? Oh, hi. I'm reading it. Yes. <laughs> I just was unmuted. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. No problem. 104. Confidence cannot develop fully until mastery has been accomplished. We have already attempted to correct the fundamental error that fear can be mastered and have empathized that only love can be mastered. We have attested only to your readiness. Mastery of love involves a much more complex, complete confidence than either of you have attained. However, the readiness at least is an indication that you believe this is possible. That is only the beginning of confidence. In case this be misunderstood to imply that an enormous amount of time will be necessary between readiness and mastery. Let me remind you that time and space are under my control. 105. One of the chief ways in which man can correct his magic miracle confusion is to remember that he did not create himself. He is apt to forget this when he becomes egocentric, and this places him in a position where the belief in magic in some form is virtually inevitable. His will to create was given him by his own creator, who is expressing the same will in his creation. Since creative ability rests in the mind, everything that man creates is necessarily a master of will. It also follows that whatever he creates is real in his own sight, but not necessarily in the sight of God. His basic um, distinct, um, distinction leads us directly into the real meaning of the last judgment. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. And is there a new reader then to complete today with paragraph five? Oh, I can do it, Lori. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Judy. One of the chief ways in which man can correct his magic miracle confusion is to remember that he did not create himself. Ooh. He is apt to forget this when he becomes egocentric. And this places him in a position where the belief in magic in some form is virtually inevitable. Self-will, magic and self-will. <laughs> his will to create was given him by his own creator who was expressing the same will in his creation. Since creative ability rests in the mind, everything that man creates is necessarily a matter of will. It also follows that whatever he creates is real in his own sight, but not necessarily in the sight of God. This basic distinction leads us directly into the real meaning of last judgment. Are we ending there, Laura? 
Yep, that's where we finished today. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Judy. And thank you everyone who read this morning and everyone who called in and listened and uh, opens their mind to the correction of lack of love. And here we are, uh, nearly at the top of the hour. So I wonder if anyone has given some thought to volunteering um, to lead our lesson reflections this week as Fran is traveling. Uh, Is there a volunteer for today? I can do that, Lori. I'll I'll, um, be brave enough to step into the water and get wet. (laughs) All righty. That's perfect. So we'll follow you, Diana. Thank you so much. Lesson 23. Okay, perfect. Um, lesson 23. I'm still in my book. I, I didn't know whether I, you know, you wanted me to do that right now. And I'm yes, happy to right. Do that. Okay. Yeah. Lesson 23. Here we go. I can't escape from the world I see by giving up my attack, my attack thoughts. Number one. The idea for today contains the only way out of fear that will ever succeed. Nothing else will work. Everything else is meaningless. But this way cannot fail. Every thought you have makes up some segment of the world you see. It is with your thoughts, then, that we must work in the perception of the world is to be changed. Let me repeat that. It's a pretty important part. It is with your thoughts, then, that we must work if your perception of the world is to be changed. Number two, if the cause of the world you see is attack thoughts, you must learn that it is these thoughts which you do not want. There is no point in laminating um, the world, lamenting the world. There is no point in trying to change the world. It is incapable of change because it is merely an effect. But there is indeed a point in changing your thoughts about the world. Here you are changing the cause the effects will change automatically. Three, the world you see is a vengeful world, and everything in it is a symbol of vengeance. Even your perceptions of, quote, external reality, unquote, is a pictorial representation of your own attack thoughts. One can well ask, if this can be called seeing, is not fantasy a better word for such a process of hallucination, a more appropriate term for the result? Number four, you see the world which you have made, but you do not see yourself as the image maker. You cannot be saved from the world 
but you can't escape from its cause. This is what salvation means. For where is the world you see when its cause is gone? Vision already holds a replacement for everything you think you see now. Loveliness can light your images and so transform them that you will love them even though they were made of hate. For you will not be making them alone. Number five, the idea for today introduces the thought that you are not trapped in the world you see because its cause can be changed. This change requires first that the cause be identified and then let go so that it can be replaced. The first two steps in the process require your cooperation. The final one does not. Your images have already been replaced. By taking the first two steps, you will see that this is so. Number six, besides using it throughout the day as the need arises, five practice periods are required in applying today's idea. As you look about you, repeat the idea slowly to yourself and then close your eyes and devote about a minute to searching your mind for as many attack thoughts as occur to you. Each, as each one crosses your mind, say, I can escape from the world by giving my attack thoughts about. Hold each attack thought in mind as you say this, and then dismiss that thought and go to the next. In this practice period, be sure to include both your thoughts of attacking. Their effects are exactly the same because they are exactly the same. You do not yet recognize this, and you are asked at this time only to treat them as the same in today's practice periods. We are still at the stage of identifying the cause of the world you see. When you finally realize that thoughts of attack and of being attacked are not different, you will be ready to let the cause go. Number seven, I can escape from the world by giving up thoughts about. I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. Five minutes.
Lesson 55, Paragraph 23 in the Overview, Page 74 in the Course in Miracles Original Edition. Um, uh, 23, Paragraph 23. I can escape from the world by giving up my attack thoughts. Herein lies my salvation and nowhere else. Without attack thoughts, I could not see a world of attack as forgiveness allows love to return to my awareness. I will see a world of peace and safety and joy. It is this I choose to see in place of what I look at now. Thank you. And a blessing for a safe travel for friends. Incomplete. Oh, thank you, Diana. Beautiful. Oh, that was just so lovely. Thank you, Diana. You did a good job. Thank you. I was I was brave enough to to just you know you know I didn't want to I had to I had to I had to just step out and I encourage the next brave soul tomorrow to do the same. It was good. It felt good. Thank you. Oh, that's that's great. It is so wonderful to um, to share, isn't it? Thank you, Diana. Yes. Mm, thank you. Good good morning, um, Lana. Um, boy, this section in this. Uh, lesson seemed like it, it, it just packed and jammed with content, um, but really, it's just an elaborate. Remember, um, Helen is talking to two psychologists, so she's talking, which is actually Jesus is part of the Christ consciousness, which also is Helen and Bill. So it's coming. Actually, it's Christ consciousness coming through them and it's identified as Jesus and that that's the way I do it too but it's coming through their own consciousness so it's coming through in a language <laughs> that's very can be very um, complicated some I, I find but um, if I break it down and um, look at what Jesus is teaching here through Helen and Bill you know, it just—I can—I just sum it up as what's real and what's not. You know, like he says, everything and nothing. You know, truth comes into truth and illusion, and it and it breaks down to two emotions: one's real and one's not; one's fear and one's love. And there's no space between them because they're polar opposites. Nothing and everything. It's like, um, and he uses the also uh, the words light and darkness. And, um, you know, I, I can just think of when I go into a dark room and turn the light on. It's not lit, you know, the light doesn't shine just in one little corner. The whole room is illuminated by the light, you know, so it abolishes the darkness. You know, it's like saying, 
you can't be a little bit pregnant. You know, you're either in truth or or you're not, you know. And I find, too, that um, when fear does show up, uh, and I like it, I like it that he says that um, he can't help us with our fear because he would be interfering with the law, with our, well, which I see even deeper, is um, our freedom of choice. Fear is a choice. And that's, you know, it's, it may show up like, how did I end up sitting in a pile of fear? You know, a lot's going on unconsciously that is not in our awareness. You know, watching our thoughts, um, we can't do it 24-7. That's impossible. And even if we could, remember, we're part of the one consciousness of the Son of God. So even if they're watching our thoughts, somebody downtown or next door or in another room may not be watching theirs. And um, we can experience the effects of that. So, but we are, there is a layer of conscious or subconsciousness, um, which is our own thinking and our own peace, brings our own peace. And I, um, and for me, you know, that's the question um, I can ask myself, am I at peace? And if I'm not, I've chosen, whether I'm aware of it or not, I've chosen um, fear instead of love. So it's just a course adjustment, you know, and like Jesus says in here, I notice the fear. I temporarily, and you know, look at it before and then accept the atonement. I make a different choice. So the only purpose in hanging out with it is, um, I like to think of putting it on the altar of the atonement, bringing it to truth. I can't bring truth to illusions because I can't bring truth to nothingness. And um, but I can bring the illusion to have it. I can bring the illusion to the atonement and have it disappear because once that light hits it, it disappears. So um, it's always just choosing for me. It's always just noticing where my mind is, checking in with it lots of times during the day, see where it's was, notice if it wanders off, bring it back to the moment, to the present moment. Asked if I'm at peace, and if I'm not, I choose once again, and I and I choose the atonement, and that's all I have to do really is make the choice for truth. Holy Spirit does the rest, and each time I accept the atonement for myself, I'm accepting love over fear and truth over illusion and light over darkness and everything over nothing, <laughs> and um, of course. <laughs> I'm choosing my true identity as a spirit and, a, and um, part of the sonship of God. So anyway, um, it um, has a lot of great reminders in this section, but also a, a lot of deep explanations that um, if I sit with it with Holy Spirit, it, that's, you know, that's the way it brings clarity to me. So thank you. I'm complete. Thank, Thank you, Lana. So appreciate your clarity. Yes. Thank, Thank you, Lana. Lana. Sitting with the Holy Spirit. I agree. <laughs> you're, you're so good at elucidating these these ideas that can be difficult to get in our brains at times. So thank you so much for 
like she said, being so clear and so um, um, informative and complete. Well, thank you, Ida. I'm so glad to help. I appreciate the simplicity, you know. You make it simple and clear. Thanks, Lana. Oh, thank you. Good morning, it's Karen. Um, Someone else? No, go ahead. You're welcome to go first, Ida. It's perfectly fine. Uh, thanks, Karen. Um, I guess one of the one of the most interesting parts of this lesson is the fact that um, thoughts of being attacked and thoughts of attacking are exactly the same thing, and. Uh, that goes way against the ego. The ego is like, well, I'm always innocent and always the other person who's trying to hurt me by attacking me. And I couldn't possibly have any thoughts of, attack, uh, thoughts of attacking them because I'm just always innocent. <laughs> so, but if everybody is always innocent, which we are, then like he says, um, thoughts of attacking and thoughts of being attacked are still thoughts about attack. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. (laughs) Thanks. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Right on, Ida. Key point. Thanks, Ida. Robin, Mary, did you want to... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Karen. Well, I was going to, but Robin Marie, do you want to say something before you go to work? <laughs> All of you people are so dear and so polite. <laughs> um, I, I love the lesson. It's very helpful. Um, I'm thinking in terms of uh, stepping back and judging someone for... Um, their verbal abuse of someone else and realizing that my doing that is an attack thought and that, uh, you know, uh, you know, my sense of righteousness or justice in my ego is offended when someone else is talking about someone that I care about, but I'm not in part of that conversation so it would be really strange for me to hop over you know 10 feet or 20 feet and say hey you know that that isn't the way to view that person so anyway yeah the attack thing is really important it's important to give those up and I appreciated everyone else's comments I um, I love you all have a great day Thank you very much, Robin Marie. And you have a great day too. Yeah, you too, Robin. Good morning, guys. I um, 
looking at paragraph four in the lesson, um, I think it's very important to enable me to understand what's trying to be taught here. You see the world you have made, which is from the separated part of the mind, the egoic, egocentric mind, which has created images of a body, which the courts describes as making an idol of ourselves, an idol of our own reality. So we see the world which we have made, but we do not see ourselves as the image maker. You cannot be saved from the world, but you can escape from its cause. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about belief today because investing belief in these thoughts and the way that I perceive the world is, is where the rubber meets the road for me. And in loosening, loosening my mind's grip, my mind's grip on the world and what it tells me who and what I am as an identity, as a person, a persona, that I have a persona is not to be denied, no, but I'm not limited to it or by it is the whole point the court trying to free me from the bondage of thinking on this, this little mini-me. And I can't be saved from the world um, or the body. I have no control over it. And um, how it beautifully speaks of in complete dependence and reliance and confidence in Jesus Christ as my brother and, you know, as shared consciousness. He is in control of 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 this reality, which I have to let go of. Judy has to let go of any sense of having any control of anything in in the body or in the world, that it's merely happening. And it's happening as one complete self for the highest benefit of its one complete self. So God's will, God's love, um, you know, God's peace, all those, the unicity of, of the the state of grace that we we are in constant contact with, constant contact every minute, holy instant, every holy encounter. If we flip the way that we see ourselves and then see the world, um, comes through here for me, um, and this is what salvation means. That I'm, I'm I'm escaping from the cause of the egoic, selfish, self-centered, little particular, personal thinking point of view to a much more global, even universal kind of spiritual eye that sees everything as its capital self. So vision already holds a replacement for everything I think I see, which means Judy thinks she's seeing with her body eyes. And um, the loveliness lights my images and transforms them so that I can see them through the eyes of Christ's love and forgiveness instead of instead of fear um, because I won't be making them alone. Amen. I'm complete. Thank you, Judy. Be making them alone. I think, Karen, you had your hand up. Oh. So did Jessica. Jessica, do you want to go first? Oh, yes. Thank you. No, no, you were, you were, you had your hand up first, Karen. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. So um, I was called away. I had a phone call, so I missed the beginning of what Lana was sharing, but I think we were both going to go to the same place, and I think this is what she said. Um, There's a little question mark at the end, like, did I get this right? But um, the paragraph that was discussing the subconscious, I found, like, that that really, um, it all, like, sort of crystallized and came together for me this morning because... The deeper we go in our true self, the deeper that we go into our stillness, it's as if, and, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time meditating in my lifetime, so this is the the way that I would imagine it when you go into meditation. First, you encounter this level of thoughts, you know, all these busy thoughts and all this monkey mind and, you know, emotions and chaos and stuff you saw on the news unwinding and stuff, the conversations you had yesterday. And and as you go deeper and deeper into meditation, you go into more and more of this stillness. And over time, as you go deeper and deeper into that unconscious, and I'm going to use, go back and clarify it, but it's the unconscious. You, you come into the true self, the natural state, the way God created us, and they say that's where our miracle impulses are. But to reach that place, you have to pass through this superficial noise level, which is the ego mind. And most people don't even go beyond that. That's the level of fear and the level of miscreation. But certainly yogis and people that practice meditation and and more contemplative prayer people and Certainly, the Course in Miracles is saying, go deep into the stillness. Go into the place where you hear the truth in yourself. And that is the level that is pre-programmed, our original factory settings, as Judy would say, of our God self. And as we go deeper and deeper into that place, there's our oneness. We discover our oneness. We have to go through or past that superficial miscreation level. And so that was really meaningful because we were we were reading about that during the miracle principles, you know, talking about miracle impulses being below that superficial level. And today it seemed to really come together. And the other thing I was thinking about a lot, and it's so simple, I'm sure that everybody's just going to like, oh, yeah, we knew that. But wherever you place your belief, It's saying if you have fear or if you believe in the separation, then that's real for you. That's real for you. Once upon a time, I was a body worker, and I studied all these different modalities. And when I came to kinesiology, I just was like, I'm not using this because it doesn't feel true to me. It just isn't something I can get behind. And I was thinking, you know, belief in nutrition, right? My sister asked me to read this book how not to die. And she, you know, she wanted to have a little study group on the book, so I read the book. And I didn't want to read it. My my initial intention, my initial thought was, yeah, I don't really care about that because I don't want to put my belief in this and I don't want to give this power in my life. And when I read the book, it was very good. And the book was very good and it's all about science. But it was definitely giving nutrition a power. 
that I don't believe the Course in Miracles is guiding us to do that. You know, whatever we give our belief to, we give our power to. And that's just an important takeaway. You know, whatever I ascribe the meaning, whatever I believe the truth to be, is what's going to rule me. And should it be separation or fear, I will feel trapped, even though it's not real. And on that note, I think I said enough, but thank you for letting me share that. I'm complete. That was very excellent, Karen. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Karen. That was lovely. (laughs) And thank you too, Judy. Hi, this is Diane. Oh, I'm Jessica. Go ahead. I don't have a computer. I don't see hands. I just hear a silence. Oh, no, I don't see hands either. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, I want to uh, make a personal amends to everybody in the past. I've stepped oh. over. Go ahead, Jessica. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I don't think any of us are seeing hands because we just say that because we heard the person uh, say they want, you know, try to say something. So <laughs> I certainly don't see any hands. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I loved what you said, Karen particularly what we believe is what we give power to. And clearly, from studying the Course, we do not want to give power to anything that isn't real. And, you know, I, I, for many years, was very interested in nutrition and alternative this, that, and the other thing. And... Um, you know, remedies and herbs and everything like that. And, um, uh, you know, and that's fine. It, you know, it, it's, it's whatever, whatever works for you. And what works for me is to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit guides me to do, not because it is necessarily going to either heal me or prevent illness, or anything like that, but because it will prevent and avoid fear. Um, so uh, that's not what I was planning to say before, but that was stimulated by what you said, Karen, about belief. It's, it's such a fundamental, really important part of healing is to recognize my beliefs and the power that I'm giving them. Anyway, and as that, I guess it is a little related to what I was going to say because all I was going to say about attack thoughts is that um, we, or I speak for myself, I have a tendency to not pay attention to the attack thoughts that are directed at myself. You know, I'm, I'm pretty well trained to notice because I'm looking for the attack thoughts about everything else. Um, and I shared this morning that on the lesson call that I spent quite a few days on this lesson recently, particularly because I was hyper aware that I was having a lot of attack thoughts about the weather. And, and I was just like, you know, I can escape the world I see by letting go of attack thoughts about the snow, about the ice, about the cold. And I had to do it a lot because I was having a lot, a lot of those. Um, the, the attack thoughts that kind of slip by are the attack thoughts about myself. 
And I'm getting better at it, but I just wanted to highlight that because I'm sure other people experience that also. And, um, you know, I luckily I have a couple grandchildren who who will sometimes draw my attention to it. If I say something inadvertently about myself that isn't very nice, they go, why are you saying that about yourself? Like, like you know, if I, I'm, I'm very kind of forgetful and can't find my glasses, can't find my phone, you know, especially when I'm focused on being with them. And then I'll say something like, oh, I'm so stupid or something like that. And they're like, no, don't say that about yourself. Anyway, that's, a, that's my contribution. Thank you. Jessica, I want to thank oh, you because the whole point of it is how individualized <clears throat> our curriculum are. At various times, we're in different places, and what matters the most to us may be different. And I loved what you said about the Holy Spirit guiding you because that's really all it comes down to. Otherwise, there's no rope, in my opinion. I'm complete. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. Very nice. Thank you, yeah. Jessica. Thank you both. Uh, this is Diana, and the one sentence that really got me while reading this was, I, I, I have to close my book. and take me a while to find it anyway. It said something like, man did not create himself. Right there. There it is. You know, we have to have a shift of will. You know, because there are two concepts. You know, we can we cannot coexist with nothing and everything. We have to choose. Are we at peace, Atlanta? I I just I just want to hug you every time I hear that. You know, because that tells me, am I choosing? You know, where am I? You know, in this in this line with the Course in Miracles. Because A Course in Miracles is a spiritual mind training. It's a psychology. It's to finding our inner peace, you know, and the ego or the ego, egoistic mind, if you will, those projections are coming from our own making. And, you know, you have, you have the ego mind and you have your true self always connecting to the love of God. It's never split. And I think the shift, you know, is, is, it has to be in our perception. You know, uh, the goal here is inner peace. And, and um, a shift in my, in my perception is a miracle, you know. When, when I choose to see someone that might be an enemy or somebody that I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling really good about, with a heart of love, that's a miracle. It's my perception. It's what I'm choosing. It's how to how to how to think, you know, and bringing those those my those and and to be careful with my thoughts, you know, and to bring them back, even if I have to set a timer to say, where am I right now in my thinking? Is it aligned with God, or am I, you know, am I back in my own will? I think because I am the seer, I am responsible, you know, for my own vision. And I need, if I'm going to choose to see things differently, I have to be accountable for that, not just go about my day. And that's why checking in and doing these lessons helps me to re-remember, you know, that it's not my will. It never has been. I'm complete. 
Thank you, Diana. Keep checking. Thank you in. so much, Diana. That was great, Diana. Thank you for that share. It's really, really wonderful. Thank you, Karen and and Lana and all of you. Yeah. Well, you emphasize. You you put a perfect emphasis on who is responsible for what I see. And um, I really appreciate that straightforwardness. Thank you, Diana. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is RJ. Hi, everyone. Um, I guess, yeah, for me, when I... um, when I feel victimized, or I guess to me, I guess that's an attack thought. If I feel victimized, then I'm attacking myself because I've been um, using this lesson to kind of just remind myself if I'm ever upset at what I think I see, then it's a, it's a form of attacking what I think that I see because when I'm not attacking what I think I see, and I'm certainly not getting upset, then I'm not, then I'm at peace. And I think someone earlier said that, you know, there's, well, there's billions of people, and so each of the billions of people are having their own journey. So everyone in this call can be at peace, but there might be someone down the block having an attack thought we just don't know. So for me, when I think I see people dropping bombs on each other in Israel, do I want to suffer because of that? Because then if I'm suffering, I'm attacking myself. And then I just, in my mind, that means I'm adding to the illusion. So the more I practice the course, the more I just neutralize all these horrible things that I think I'm seeing and find a way to stay in my peace even though I can I can see the news and the news can talk about bombs in Israel and bombs in Ukraine and this and that. But it still doesn't help to suffer because of that because then I'm attacking myself and I choose peace instead of this. And with that, I'm complete. Well, thank you. Thank you, RJ. This is Lana. Um, you know, the way I hold the world is I'm not so concerned about, you know, if it's real or it's not, but what I am concerned about is not what I see, but how I see it. And also, what is my relationship to it? You know, if I see a world of chaos, I mean, when Jesus walked the earth, it was not the Garden of Eden. It was a world of hatred. It was a world of fear and judgment and guilt. But he chose to see it differently. He chose to see it, um, well, like the Buddhists call, use the word compassion and mercy and love and forgiveness. And that was the source of his inner peace. Because if anything outside of my own holy mind upsets me, you know, it points back to, the Course's teaching on responsibility for sight. 
<clears throat> when I'm able to own, you know, I like own better than the word responsibility. Those kind of have a few guilt connotations with it, but uh, when I own my perceptions, when I know they are of my making, I can change them. You know, I can heal them. I can bring them to the altar of truth. I can make that choice for love and God rather than for illusions because you know, it's not like we're in the world. The world is in us because we are thought in the mind of God. So since the world is in us, in our holy mind, we have the power, you know, to accept the atonement for ourselves. And, and Jesus does say this is a very individualized curriculum. So it's always my choice. And if I'm not at peace, I know I'm perceiving something, someone, (laughs) whatever, um, without love. You know, I'm perceiving without love. And if I'm perceiving without love, it's not very comfortable. It's painful sometimes. It can be devastating sometimes. But um, when that happens to me, uh, when I'm either emerged within the ego or I'm watching the ego. Um, And there are two different points of awareness. Um, I can bring my full attention to this present moment and just take what I call a sacred pause and bring my mind to stillness and choose the atonement instead. You know, it's like, that's why Jesus says, you know, we can't, he can't help us with fear because fear is an illusion. And it's different than, I know time and space is an illusion too, but Holy Spirit can repurpose time and space on behalf of the atonement. You can't do anything with the illusion of fear. You can't repurpose fear. It's just a, a wrong decision. You know, it's, and I love how everyone is talking about belief because that's so important. But also faith is important to notice because um, for me there's never a lack of faith. But what's more important is where have I placed my faith? Do I believe that this pain or this fear or this situation or this person is real? Is that where my faith is? Or is truth where I place my faith? Because they're two different worlds, two radically totally polar opposite worlds. One's real and one's not. So, but my meeting place is here and now in this holy instant, this present moment, in a state of stillness where I just shut off my thinking, bring all my focus and attention to God and rest there. And for me, that's the choice for God. That's placing my faith and belief in God That's choosing God. And once I choose that, you know, Holy Spirit just kicks in and does the rest. I don't have to do a thing other than choose God or the same as saying choose love or choosing the atonement or choosing truth, you know, or or choosing the truth of who I am. And um, once I do that, my job is over. I just have, I, I, you know, one of my favorite lessons is I rest in God. And I practice that lesson whenever, you know, I come to this present moment, this holy instant, 
this, what Jesus calls the closest approximation to eternity. I rest there, and sometimes I'll read that lesson as I'm resting. And as I'm reading with my full focus and attention, I'm not thinking with the ego mind. I've joined God. And that's all I ever have to do. And boy, it brings miraculous results. Um, at least in my experience, it does. So I'm complete. Thank you. Practice Thank makes you perfect, me. Lana. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Thank you, Lana. Lana, that was so well said. Yeah. I just want to point out that Lori and Lemoyne could talk before the end. Thanks, Lana. This is Donna. And while everyone was speaking, a song came to me. Uh, first, I was reflecting on what Jesus said about there's only one son, but there are many aspects of that one son. And I think if I understood uh, the reading, he says every single one of those sons has to come home, so to speak, before the entirety of the one son will awake, or that's my paraphrasing. <clears throat> so I heard, I heard the, the first line of this song, how lovely is thy dwelling place, O mighty God. And then I thought, that's each one of us. Our true identity is a lovely dwelling place of our Father God in, in the one Son, as the one Son. And from the lesson, uh, paragraph four, the word vision uh, came, uh, came out to me, and the word vision has become very big in my experience in my walk because I have seen, quote, unquote, <clears throat> I use the word seen <laughs> very loosely, I've seen my soul. So I, I, I uh, and my soul saw my form. And, and so the lesson today uh, that, that I tried to say, well, now what am, what am I saying by saying I'm seeing? So first, our human seeing shows us, quote, the world, end quote, that seems material and solid and real. Vision is the faculty of the soul. Once vision has occurred, the belief of seeing begins to dissolve and the power hold on a second. And the power we gave it, seeing, slowly shifts by grace, by Holy Spirit's presence. And what we see with our eyes is now a tool for God's purpose and grows in our own awareness as our purpose. So my living, having living 
understanding, oh, when I'm looking at the form, that is my soul vision has awakened. So the soul begins to, it begins its work once it's stirred, once it's aware that, once I'm aware that's who I am, I no longer identify with that that's, that can see through my eyes. So it's just a wonderful thing how, and Lana mentioned how she lets the Holy Spirit do it. And that's the wonderful thing about these teachings uh, is that they do begin to help us say, really live that we have nothing to do with this quote-unquote body, with this quote-unquote mind that we were born in seemingly and raised to believe in is the only game in town. And we definitely grow more and more in our truth of being, our truth of holy being as a son in the soul or as a soul in the son of God. I complete, and I'm so blessed to hear the readings from participate. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. I enjoyed every bit of that. Thank you, Donna. Oh, thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for beautiful. Thank you for your faith, Donna. I feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like that it was a re-reminder when you said ego seeing disappears and Christ's vision appears when you are, um, those are like little sparks of light, you know, little gifts back to ourselves when we know we're on course, we're <laughs> back on track. Thank you for your share. Thanks, Anna. You you um you point very I'm nicely to hear from it. you, Lori. Yeah. Okay. Say something. I'm waiting am I for on, you. Am I on mute? Oh, Sarah, I'm not on mute. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, uh, I I enjoyed Donna um, particularly uh, that you emphasized or brought out um, the purpose of time, or that's what I was hearing. I should say. Um, the manual for teachers there's a question that says can God be reached directly and uh, and and in answer to that question he says yes uh, but it's likely that um, a person would not be able to uh, sustain that in awareness for any length of time because it's so very overwhelming uh, that that degree of love but it depends entirely he says on um, the amount of time it takes a person to realize the inclusiveness of the atonement the amount of time it takes a person to realize the inclusiveness of the atonement I like that I like that because it's um, essentially the way I read paragraph 100 the time doesn't really have intervals um, in fact, time doesn't really exist if I'm uh, if my awareness is in the present moment. 
but as we all experience ourselves uh, as uh, tagged to this body, <laughs> going about our business every day, uh, the sun comes up and the sun goes down, there's a collective experience of time. And that time itself, time itself is a gift to me for the purpose of realizing the inclusiveness of the atonement. That means, um, to me, that means that time is my father's gift to me for the purpose of me realizing the truth of love all the time. Is that my reality? No. I can't say that that's my reality all the time. But when it is, uh, I experience reality with a capital R. The kingdom. My father gave me this world because he loves me. Uh, the state of mind of heaven. The awareness of perfect oneness. The acceptance that there's only the thought system of truth. That I am holy and everything I see uh, is enveloped and embraced by that same holiness. Time is, is the gift given me um, for that realization. <clears throat> well, can um, identify with those moments of, of um, embrace my holiness, those instants where there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever about how we are loved and held in the mind of God. We all have those moments. Um, and I will say that, um, well, here's what I want to say. My truth is this. Um, those moments... Uh, embraced me and I felt their embrace and certainty of holiness and the guarantee of heaven and eternity being now and and all of that a long time ago and uh, and then <laughs> and then and then the world intervened and uh, and it took me a long time to realize that um, thoughts my thoughts have power and that I can use my thoughts the way my father gave them to me so that I can share them with him or I can use my thoughts to do something different and that is to judge. And when I use my thoughts to judge, I make a world that I all of a sudden I believe in. And, um, and that world uh, is not the world of the holy instant. That world is a mistake. And then I can use time again for my benefit to realize I made a mistake. I did this thing and it is this I wouldn't do. I can learn through the practice of forgiveness, not just for myself, but for my brother. We all know that um, it is possible to run into someone who is doing something that is aggravating and they're not aware of what they're doing and I am not aware of the truth in that moment. And when that occurs, um, we have conflict. 
how do I learn that there's only one self here? How do I learn that it's only myself I hurt? How can I learn that um, you are mine and I am yours, except through the fact that we run into each other with mistaken thoughts and come to truth at the same time? <laughs> how can I how can I learn the realization that that everything is mine? How can I come to the realization that everything is heaven now, except through the practice of forgiveness? And what is forgiveness? See, what is forgiveness? But I have a mistaken thought, and I attribute the consequences of that thought to you. I have a mistaken thought. It, let's say that my mistaken thought um, results in fear. And now I attribute my fear to you. You caused my fear. And we both experience consequences of that. By watching my thoughts and recognizing that it's my thoughts of judgment that are creating those effects, by watching them and realizing my mistake and withdrawing that thought, all of a sudden, you and I together have a different experience. You see, that's what makes the Course in Miracles different than any other way to God. You know, it's said that it's said that our Father is known by love of His creation, and that's why, to me. Um, forgiveness is the most important thing I can do because I know how it feels to be forgiven for a mistake you see I know that that feels really good and when someone grants me that boon um, I am now aware of my oneness with that person and when I grant someone that boon, they're aware of their oneness with me. That makes this Course in Miracles different than any other way to God because I learn that underneath my mistaken thoughts that I blame on you, underneath that, I really love you. You see? And the expression of that love he calls a miracle. Um me that's the way I learned that the way to my father is through love of his creation and that doesn't benefit me alone I'm learning also that giving and receiving are one in truth I'm learning that I can be grateful for time so that it gives me opportunities to over and over again straighten out my thoughts and as my thoughts are straightened out I experience a different world and um, realize that uh, my father gave me this world because he loves me and I love him for that as well. Um, to, to realize all of that is to create in truth. You know, to love is to create. And um, I have to go through the steps of realizing that I make mistakes with my thoughts and when I re 
when I correct those, I don't correct them, I let those thoughts be corrected. Um, I, I shift in miracles. And to me, that's what he's ending this discussion with about about potential and readiness and um, and and ultimately, you know, arrival at Christ consciousness and the ability to maintain a true vision all the time. Um, I'm ready for that experience um, every morning when I lay this day on the altar at dawn. And um, and that experience is my Father's gift to me. I think I'm pretty complete. Oh, that was gorgeous, Lori. Thank you. Yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, Lori, do you remember that very first thing, that you, how you began it when you said, Time is the gift my father gave to me to be in this time. Is that what is that what you said? We, we're needing experience. this time to bring us to this time of arrival to see it for how it should be. Yes, I mean time is. Paragraph one hundred is pretty good that way, Diana. It clarifies <clears throat> for me that I can I can use time creatively for the purpose. I can use time creatively for the purpose of realizing that I made fear and that underlying everything all the time is love. That's that's a creative oh, use of time. And my and my tool yeah. for that is forgiveness to withdraw my mistaken mm. thoughts. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. And, and that you know, was really... <clears throat> the, other, the last thing I wanted to say about readiness and potential is uh, there's a golden there's a golden point um, of power, and that's when I realized that my will is my father's. That my only error, my major error, um, was that thinking I had a separate will. And um, and all the things I did with that separate will, with my thoughts, and the, the golden, uh, to me, place of power, the ultimate expression of love in the world, <clears throat> is uh, sharing the atonement and the realization that that's my true will all the time, all the time. And now... Um, as a consequence of sharing that will, um, I realize that um, it's sort of like I said yesterday. <clears throat> I've forgotten my errors, and I'm remembering the truth of love. And the plane flies itself, except for those moments where I use my thoughts inappropriately to make myself afraid. And it doesn't take as long to realize I did this thing. That's what time is for. It doesn't take as long to realize I created this circumstance, this weather that I seem to be experiencing. And I can use forgiveness to realize my mistake and um, and shift myself back into flight, <laughs> as so to speak. <coughs> Sorry, I'm really hoarse today. 
But thank you. Uh, gee whiz. Isn't dialogue a wonderful thing? Um, no, amen to that, so, my sister. <laughs> clarifying. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. Love it. Thank you, Lori. I loved it, too. And um, you were saying that the Course in Miracles was uh, the only teaching that teaches you that we're one and our brothers are the, the way. And please forgive me if I paraphrase that wrong because I'm not even focused on that part of it. What I was going to say is that it reminded me that when we go below that superficial level of consciousness, which is manifesting this crazy, insane world, when we drop below that, we feel our oneness. And every great spiritual path is that. It's all that. It's, it's dropping into a place where everything is love and everything is the oneness. And... Um, <clears throat> I was just I was just wanting to share again yesterday that I shared that my mother was hallucinating and it was such a profound, profound lesson about the world. If I could apply that to the whole world, you know, my brothers and sisters are hallucinating in this in this manifested world of insanity that the ego has created. And if I can stand beside them, my sister didn't try to tear apart her, my mother's illusions. She was like, oh, oh, you know, so-and-so is doing this, and okay, how can I help you? It wasn't like I'm tearing it down and trying to correct you. It's how do I stand in the compassion and be with you? And I, and I think there's a great spiritual lesson in it in terms of standing with our brothers who are still in this dream of separation. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, boy, are you absolutely right. Oh, thank you. Thank you, both Laura and Karen. It's so beautiful how Karen and Lori and, you know, the share that people do when they're speaking through their heart. It's almost like pictures on it on a storybook, you know, I could see and feel the words and and um I just really appreciate your share, Karen, and, and I, I see your mom in peace. I like to do affirmative prayer and I like to to, you know, not going into fear but aligning with God, seeing her well healed and whole with however she shows up in this transition. You know, and for all of you, for you, for your sister, for your family. You know, to be at one with you during this time, I think is, you know, this is what we're called to do as brothers and sisters, to be with each other and in crises and in pain. I know it's it's an illusion, but it's very real when you're going through it. So I appreciate I your just, shares. It, Thank you. She's fine, today. she's fine today. It was like a medication-induced psychosis. So, yeah, she is already back to herself. But thank you so much. And yes, ongoing, because this was something we didn't anticipate, and there could be another thing tomorrow. <laughs> and the day after that, it's a, it's a process. But thank you, Dyke. I just wanted to put it right in the air. You know, she's not in that. She actually slept, I don't know, like 16 hours finally. So, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. 
Okay. Any final thoughts this morning before we wrap up? Lemoyne? Lemoyne? You're being called, my brother. Lori, can you hear me? This is Wendy. I can, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've announced twice, and it seems like... Anyway. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 that's oh, right. that's not the point. Uh, when we correct, when I correct a brother, I've forgotten who they really are. It's on me. It's my mind that needs to change. I don't need to correct anybody. I only need to correct myself. I'm complete. There you have it. Could you repeat that one last? Can you repeat that once again, please? Please? You said when I correct my brother, uh, I'm in the bathtub, so I have to dry my hands off to hold the phone. Okay. Um, if I correct a brother, I've forgotten who they really are. And that's my part, to remember the truth of everyone. God is tucked in there. Who am I relating to? Somebody that, mm. has, you know, doesn't listen or has a problem or hasn't realized the truth yet? Or is it me that needs to know the truth of them? I need to mm. know who they think they are. Treat them accordingly. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Wendy, that's it. So true. I remember Jesus gave me the guidance once that said, if I'm not perceiving the the perfection of a brother, whose mind needs to be healed? (laughs) And uh, I see a lot of that on Facebook, but but it's, um, you know, I see it more as an ego needing to be right than having anything to do with the brother. Yeah, and if if I have no investment in being right, and don't care about being wrong, then it doesn't matter what anybody posts. You know, I just, you know, I just give them the space to be who they are in this moment in time. You know, it's about um, learning not to judge and seeing my brother as myself. The golden rule. <laughs> Always comes back to that, it seems. Thank you. I'm complete. It sure does. Yeah. Thank you. Lemoyne, do you do you have anything you want to share before we end the call, hon? Um, not a lot. I mean, this has all been wonderful. I just want to follow up this point. You know that it's in one hundred and three that people are the way I, you know, what I see people hear people talking about, it is that all cuts both ways. I mean, right? Any part of the sonship can believe in error or incompleteness if he so elects. However, if he does so, he's believing in the existence of nothingness. The correction of this error is the atonement. And I kind of wanted to elaborate those sort of guided to elaborate that sentence 
um, from paragraph 46 in the same chapter, or just touch on 44, the atonement can only be accepted within you. So, in 46 it says, for perfect effectiveness, the atonement belongs at the center of the inner altar, where it undoes the separation and restores the wholeness of the mind. So, you know, whether <laughs> it's someone clearly stating and expressing their own belief in error or incompleteness, or whether it, you know, somebody says something and it gets under my skin, so to speak, and I think they're wrong and they need help. Either way, the correction of this error is that sole task, the acceptance of the atonement for myself. And, um, you know, if the, if the perception is correct and it is primarily over there, then the, still the first step is the acceptance of the atonement so that I can have it to offer, right? And how it's to be offered must be guided so that it lands well over there. And this offer has to be um, in alignment with the idea that everything is a gift. Because I, mean, I think this is one way to look at what it's talking about in, in all this. <clears throat> that, you know, the acceptance of the atonement in every situation allows the acceptance of the gift of life. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, whatever the error is, the correction, the correct, first corrective step is to um, you know, to center myself, to understand, to check, or whatever it takes to get the atonement at the center of the inner altar where it can shine away <clears throat> whatever um, judgment might be mixed with the perception that someone else is in error. Yeah. Um, and, and just to get to the last judgment, which is where he's talking about you know, whatever I create is real in my sight, but not necessarily in the sight of God. And that distinction leads directly into the real meaning of the last judgment. Um, I feel like I should introduce that here because it hasn't been brought up. <clears throat> and then in the section, what is the last judgment, which is just before Lesson 311, tenth part of part two of the workbook. Um, it says, this is God's final judgment. You are still my holy son, forever innocent, forever loving, and forever loved. 
as limitless as your creator and completely changeless and forever pure. And so, with that, <clears throat> that is the the hallmark to to <laughs> hold all my personal judgments up to, and see and see which is true. Except this is true, and then you know my my judgments of any need beyond the acceptance of the atonement for myself are are purified or correct as long as they align with God's final judgment. <clears throat> Which I believe is part of, actually, it's, it's part of creation. To uh, That this is how... He's, it's the book says he created us by knowing us, and this is how he knows us. And uh, so, you know, all knowing to be real it needs to align with that. And uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a way to handle the temptation to judge and turn it towards. The original purpose. Anyway, I'm complete there. Thank you all. Thank you, Lemoyne. Appreciate your insight. Yeah. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you, you. Thank you for your gift, your offering to the call. I agree. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Lemoyne. This is Wendy one more time. You know, it's kind of like saying... I'm meeting an aspect of myself in my dream. And I don't think it has anything to do with me, and I think it's wrong, and I want to be But what God is saying is look more deeply at it. Whatever you believed about yourself wasn't true. Heal with this aspect of your mind, this seeming separate self. Love that part of yourself so that one by one, all the all the I'm complete. Did you say Ollie, 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 all in free? You bet I did. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what I thought I heard. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, for, that. That for decades, for decades. Thank you. <laughs> That's that's just great. Alrighty. Well what a great call this has been. I just really love the dialogue, you guys. It's been great. I think um I think this is a really excellent place to, to end this recording. It's from Chapter 16, The Magnitude of Holiness. Where it says, Do not interpret against God's love, for you have many witnesses which speak of it so clearly that only the blind and deaf can fail to see and hear them. This year... Determined not to deny what has been given you by God. 
awake and share it. For that is the only reason he has called to you. Can I take that in? His voice has spoken clearly. Yet you have so little faith in what you've heard because you've preferred to place still greater faith in the disaster you have made. Today, let us resolve together to accept the joyful tidings that disaster is not real and that reality is not disaster. Reality is safe and sure and holy kind to everyone and everything. There is no greater love than to accept this and be glad. For love asks only that you be happy and will give you everything that makes for happiness. You have never given any problem to the Holy Spirit. He has not solved for you, nor will you ever do so. And you've never tried to solve anything yourself and been successful. Is it not time you brought these facts together and made sense of them? Let us work and invest in peace. Have faith in what has faith in you. I'm so grateful we have each other to um, to realize our own thought mistakes and to participate in their correction together. I'll end the recording, not the call. I'm so grateful for you guys.